and welcome back to Back in Style, the Twisted Mug Media Network's Twin Peaks podcast. I almost forgot what show this was. Um, <laughs> uh, this is great. I'm Logan. And I'm Matthew. And I'm Ryan. And uh, uh, today we are talking about Checkmate. Uh, I think I got the, the episode title right this time. Yes. Uh, yeah. This is season uh, episode 12, I believe, of season two. Episode of Twin 13. Peaks. I was going to uh, say, I think it's 13. Episode 13. My bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, so, yes. Uh, of Twin Peaks, we are going through every episode, reviewing every episode. Um, stay tuned for that. I've seen the show before. Uh, Matt and Ryan are both uh, newcomers to Twin Peaks. Uh, so, I'm... I'm I'm taking them through it. I'm their spiritual guide. Uh, I'm I'm their deputy hawk, and uh, uh, so that's uh, that's basically what what we do on this show. We just we talk about Twin Peaks and and some some fun things. Yep, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, so we are we're uh, about halfway, a little bit farther than halfway through season two. Um, yeah, don't short trains us. We're getting yes. we're getting towards that season two finale as quickly as possible. As quickly as possible, because if you've been listening <laughs> to the other podcasts or if you're familiar with Twin Peaks, uh, you know that the show takes a bit of a dip in season two, and uh, we'll be getting into that in this review. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll talk about this episode. I I think this episode is kind of an improvement from the last one. Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, we we can talk about that. Uh, Floyd, I want to I want to start out with you. Um, uh, we. Uh, we we did not have you on the last episode for the Black Widow. I, I was wondering if you had any any huge thoughts uh, that you wanted to share with us before we get into talking about Checkmate. Uh, no, I would say so. My thoughts on the Black Widow was basically that it was the worst episode of the series that thus far, probably for me, uh, because unlike you guys, I didn't really feel that drop on episodes ten and eleven. I thought they pretty stayed pretty level, and I posited on I think episode eleven's podcast. That it, it was still the same show and keeping that same quality. Well, I definitely felt that drop in episode 11. Uh, the only scene that I really enjoyed was the uh, the scene between Denise, Audrey, and Cooper when they had that really fun chemistry, the three of them. And I want to see more of that on screen. We didn't get any more in this episode. I hope we get more in the future. I don't know if we will or not. But um, but no, yeah, it, w- it was a, a quite bad episode. And even the reveal at the end of the episode, as we'll get into, that kind of spills over to, to this week's episode was laughable for me and uh i didn't think quite worked so yeah definitely you, definitely you the major low breaks. point for the show major breaks yeah major breaks about. yeah so definitely yeah. the low point of the show so far for me all right yeah i i would have to agree with you the the last one was probably probably the worst episode overall um but yeah so so let's get into talking about this one a little bit um this is as we mentioned uh checkmate uh first televised on january 19th 1991 Guest starring James Booth as Ernie Niles, David Duchovny as Denise Bryson, uh, Gavin O'Hurley as Sergeant King, uh, Annette McCarthy as Evelyn Marsh, and as always, a whole lot more. Written by Harley Payton, directed by Todd Holland, and edited by Tony Morgan. Uh, So, if you guys don't have anything else to begin, we'll get into the plot summary. Go ahead. All right. Uh, Full spoilers ahead, except for we won't spoil anything past the episode that we're on, but uh, you have been warned if you haven't seen Checkmate yet. Major Briggs says he remembers stepping from flames, a vague shape in the dark, then nothing. Doc Hayward says Briggs has three triangular scars on the base of his neck. Uh, Briggs reveals he is part of a project searching for the White Lodge. An army officer escorts Briggs away. Shelley is mad at Bobby. She slaps him and he walks out. Evelyn says she needs James to help. Nadine flirts with Mike at the double R. 
Truman confronts Josie. Norma tells Ed she wants to be with him. Truman deputizes Cooper so he can help with the sting operation. Andy and Dick uh, break into the Happy Helping Hands agency and read Little Nicky's file. Donna offers to take money to James. As Norma leaves, Hank punches Ed. Uh, Nadine arrives and pummels Hank, knocking him out. Ben lectures Bobby about the Battle of Gettysburg. Bobby and Audrey plan a way to help Ben. Evelyn asks James not to leave. Ernie and Denise conduct the sting at Dead Dog Farm. Ernie's wire starts to smoke, and Renault and King realize they are being set up. They pull the guns on Ernie and Dennis, uh, and demand that Cooper let them go. Cooper trades himself for the hostages. Evelyn meets with Malcolm. Oh, I just remembered that scene. That's a weird scene. Evelyn meets with Malcolm. Cooper urges Renault to surrender. Renault blames Cooper for the death of Jacques and Bernard. He thinks Cooper brought a nightmare with him to Twin Peaks. Denise, dressed as a waitress, approaches with food. Cooper grabs a gun from Denise's leg and shoots and kills Renault. Shelley discovers Leo's empty wheelchair. He is standing and staring at her menacingly. Uh, Cooper finds a dead body in the conference room, pointing at a chess game. He realizes this is Wyndham Earl's next move. So any thoughts that you guys have right off the bat with this episode? Or should we just get into going through it sequentially? Uh, I would say the only thing I really have to say in terms of broad thoughts on this episode is that I think between last episode and this episode, it's it's finally hit that point for me that I feel like this series is aimless. That there's just kind of nothing left for like creatively for mark frost and david lynch in that there are interesting nuggets there's interesting little storylines in this episode but it just feels like like lynch did not have the idea past episode nine for this show to really continue and that's why i'm looking forward to so much fire walk with me in season three is because he wouldn't have made those unless he felt that he had a story to tell and right now it doesn't feel like they have a story to tell yeah, I totally agree. I, I feel like at this point in uh, in 1991, they're just on the air because it's a popular show and they still happen to be on the air. But yeah, the fact that they, the fact that Lynch thinks it important enough to put a movie into theaters, uh, to come back, you know, 25 years later, basically, uh, to put out a new, um, a, a, a totally new season of this. Yeah, you're, you're totally right that that's an indication that he has more story that he wants to tell, and it's not like this middle chunk of season two where they're just aimlessly wandering. And, and, and I just want to be clear, like, it's not that these episodes are a total wash, but it just doesn't have any of the mem- momentum that the first, uh, what, like, 17 or 18 episodes did when they were telling that main Laura Palmer story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I think we can get into talking about this, uh, this opening, um, what do you guys think about this? I I felt like the effects were pretty over the top, but we have the shot of the shot of space and uh, a voiceover that says Cooper. And then this, the radioactivity symbol that's, uh, displayed over the whole screen. And then we see Briggs engulfed in flames. And then he's on like this goofy, like jungle throne set. What do you guys make of all this? I'm I'm curious. Yeah, I, I love the very beginning of this episode, like the shot of space with all those multicolored stars. We hear uh, a voice saying Cooper, you know, which is that message that they heard from deep space. But yeah, and, and I didn't mind, you know, although it looked a little bit outdated, the the radiation symbol coming toward us. But but the special effect of him in the chair, surrounded by like this jungle looking vegetation was was not good. Um, 
and we've talked about how uh, Lynch, you said even in season three, he likes to use kind of these sort of uh, uh, more old-fashioned special effects um, that give this yeah, show, simpler yeah, effects. that give the show a certain vibe. But this scene didn't really have that. This just felt like bad CGI because everything felt very fuzzy and the green. It just it didn't. It looked a little bit off. But I was kind of all right with it because I was just happy to see Briggs and get more of this. Uh, yeah, I, this, this, when this episode started and it, this happened, it was like, oh my God, what, what has happened to this show? Like what, what, how have they gotten to this point where this is the opening of an episode that's supposed to be, I don't know. I feel like I just had a very, I've always think I had a more negative reaction to the supernatural stuff than you guys have. And I think this beginning of the episode really hammered that home with me. Like, as soon as they were talking about, like, oh, we have this stuff pointing towards deep space, I was rolling my eyes, and I just wanted it to be over. See, I love that. Like, yeah. I love the dialogue once we get to Briggs, uh, kind of anguishing over the classified nature of the of the messages he received and if it even matters anymore. I love the supernatural element. It's just that one instance of the special effect did not work for me. Yeah, I, I agree with you, uh, with you both, actually, in, in some ways. I, I really like the supernatural stuff. I do think it gets a little bit out of hand once they go from, like, uh, like deep woods mystery to, like, space magic. It's yeah, a, it's that's a, that's little a bit weird strange. leap. A weird leap, yeah, for sure. Um, but Briggs says that he remembers uh, very little except for one pervasive image, a giant owl. Now, Matt, I, I would love for you to share with Ryan your your theory that you posited, I think, at the end of our last episode, uh, in case, or, and for everyone else, in case you didn't get to listen to our, our review of The Black Widow, but y- you brought up something very interesting. Yeah, I mean, this wild theory was uh, basically kind of born out of the boredom of that was last Twin <laughs> Peaks episode, and I was like, you know what, like, I gotta, like, something else interesting has to be going on, but I, um, I deduced that um, I think that Major Briggs is an owl, has the power to turn into an owl, um, because uh, the other, uh, the African-American uh, army officer says about Briggs that he's the best pilot he's ever he's ever seen, um, and we have no indication that this man flies a plane. It seems like he's just uh, observing the night sky, so I think it would be interesting, you know, if he actually turned into an owl, because previous in the show, uh, the, the image of the owl watching over everything seemed to be very common and Briggs always seemed to have this kind of knowledge of the Laura Palmer storyline and the supernatural elements, even though he wasn't necessarily in all of those scenes. Um, oh my God. And the fact that then uh, after he Briggs disappears, uh, Cooper sees an owl um, and the, the officer mm. asks if Cooper saw an owl. So there were a lot of clues there, but then in this episode, it kind of seems to debunk that because Briggs says that he saw an owl, which points more towards like, okay, the owl is Bob or something along those lines. But yeah, Floyd, what do you think of this theory? I never crossed my mind. I'm not going to lie and say that. Oh yeah. I had the same idea. Um, I don't know. I don't think that that's where they were going, but I, all the evidence that you're positing there, it's, it's all true. I think it's, it's a very valid theory in terms of the evidence that the show is giving at this point. I don't know. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I didn't ever actually anticipate an answer for what the owls are. And and, and this, again, this just goes back to kind of like my issues with this part of the series that it just, it's, it's not that I dislike the supernatural element. I just think when it dominates on this show like this is when it starts to bother me. So, like, the Laura Palmer stuff, having it be that creepy stuff in the background, like, oh, he's, like, 
Bob is taking over, you know, and kind of doing this, like, just, like, evil spirit in this town that's cool. And now that we're just, like, at the point in the show where it's, like, maybe one of the characters is an owl. And that's a valid, (laughs) you know, that's a valid theory that I'm not going to dispute because I can't tell you that you're wrong. So, yeah, it it seems like what you're kind of saying is that you don't mind the supernatural stuff as long as there's still the opportunity to take the double meaning uh, from it. Like... We talked a lot about, like, when this Bob plot sort of came to an end, how you can read it as just a a story of, like, a cycle of abuse and not necessarily uh, a demon inhabiting this man. And And a beautiful story of of the cycle of abuse. Like, it's a great story. The Laura Palmer storyline is fantastic. And I think that uh, the demon, the, the sort of, the demon, the supernatural stuff, it in some ways adds another layer in some ways it could just be seen as like an easy out for you know if you don't want to deal with like the real uh the real like hard-hitting issues here but i don't know i i do like that there's always some other way to interpret things here yeah uh there's a lot that's left up to interpretation so i think when it gets when it gets too too far into sort of telling you exactly what's going on um, I, 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 I can understand how that might be a detriment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, don't, I go back and forth on this cause I know I've said in the past on, I think on the other episode I was on that I'm like, it bothers me sometimes that we don't get the rules. And I think what bothers me that we don't get the rules is when it relies so much on the plot. If you're going to make this like the plot of the show, the supernatural stuff, I feel like eventually you need to give me some rules. But if it's just going to be like you said, this like kind of metaphor on top of a of another story i don't necessarily need the rules but now it's to the point where this there there is no a storyline now they're all b storylines and so if you're gonna like isolate the b storyline of major briggs and have that maybe because it seems like that's tied to the white lodge because you know um back in black widow at the end um bobby is talking about how um he had that interaction with his dad where he talked about that they were both at the white lodge you know or what I'm assuming will become the White Lodge. I think he called it, like, a white building or something like that. Um, if, if you're going to have that be, like, the focus of the show, I, I, I want just some answers down the line. Like, Matt, I hope the show answers whether or not he's an owl. I don't think it will, but... I also don't think it will. But, no, yeah, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, when it dominates the storyline and there's no uh, realism to ground it on, it, it, it falls flat. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that, that does make a little bit of sense. Uh, let's talk about some rules that are uh, established in this scene. Maybe not rules, but certainly some background that's given. Uh, Major Briggs talks about Project Blue Book, which is the Air Force investigation into UFOs, uh, apparently disbanded in 1969, but some some people had uh, continued uh, unofficially kind of carrying on this this project. Um, and, And Major Briggs says that they investigate the heavens... But in Twin Peaks, they investigate the Earth below. Which is such um, a weird detail. Like, that came out of nowhere. Um, well, I mean... For I me, think it felt a, like it did. I feel I, like I, everything... I felt like that just means the woods. Does that just mean... Say, okay, does that mean underground or just, like, the woods? I don't know if it, me- I don't know if it necessarily is positing, like... Uh, you know, Mike and Bob are living somewhere underground in like an <laughs> at some tunnels under the, under Twin That's Peaks. That's what I completely I, took it to mean because I I feel like it just means like the earth, the land, the woods, the forest, the, that kind of okay. Thing. I um in I, a very vague sense. 
I but Floyd, what's to your mean interpretation? That especially everything going on with Nikki, and you know all these horrible spirits is around. I took it to mean that they're talking about hell, and I don't know if you guys took it that way or not. But it seems like of all the bad things that are happening in Twin Peaks and the in the, throughout the course of this show, especially because of bad demon type things, it, it, when they're like, "Hey, we normally look to the heavens," which gives as soon as you use, use the word heavens instead of space. My mind goes to Christian the Christian allegories, and then you say no, but here in Twin Peaks we're looking at below. Is to me saying we're looking at hell. Yeah, it, it's interesting that you say that because I, I feel like there's less nuance in um, saying you know rather than saying like the, these mysterious things like the the Red Room, uh, the Black Lodge, the White Lodge, like just going into like. And, and with, like, Bob maybe being, like, the representation of evil, just going from that uh, to these Christian ideas of, like, hell and the devil. Like, little Nikki is the devil, apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, it's just, it seems less nuanced. It seems it seems just so much more basic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, you're, no completely, you're completely correct. I, I worry um, how specific they're going to get because what makes this show so great is the vague, ambiguous element to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but that being but said, something, I, yeah, I would say yeah, I still really like the scene yeah. and I think the writing, um, especially in this later half of the second season season is at its best when it's with major Briggs. And I love some of his lines here, particularly, particularly the ones where he's struggling and he says, is this for my soul? Is this meant for the soul? I thought those were really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a really lovely touch that I like in this scene um, is the sprinklers at the end. The sprinklers just start dripping. Uh, yeah. they're, they're just dripping on the page. It reminds us of um, of Leland's death, of Bob finally leaving Leland's body. Oh. It's a very interesting touch um, to use the sprinklers yeah, I, there. I, in, I in love that, way. that. I thought that was a great, but, uh, great element. Yeah. See, I didn't even catch yeah. that as like a callback mm. to Leland. I was yeah. wondering what that was, and then, yeah, you're definitely right. That's definitely a callback to Leland. Yeah, so let's go from here to a different scene, also in the sheriff's station. Uh, Ernie Niles is uh, just acting like a total coward. Uh, they're kind of egging him on to, to call Jean Renault to set up this meeting for the sting operation that we get to see later. Um, not too interesting a scene, I, I don't think, but, you know, it happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, right after this, uh, Andy and Dick have this secret meeting. And they talk about uh, what happened to Nikki's parents. They talk about how they're going to uh, do some investigation of themselves. Yeah. Um, like I said in the previous episode, uh, Dick has really been growing on me. Um, and I actually, like, like I got to, like, preface all my praises of this episode by saying, like, yeah, although these plot lines are really unimportant and I don't ultimately care, it was fun. <laughs> like, this Andy Dick stuff I thought was really hilarious and I really enjoyed. Um, that being said, I would have much rather had this episode focus on other things, but that's where we're at in the show. <laughs> of yeah. course, yeah. Um, but Lucy and Cooper actually have a secret of their own. Uh, she's been checking all of the national papers, uh, the personal columns for chess moves, uh, and they haven't found anything yet. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys picked up on this. Like, I knew what was going to happen at the end of at the end of this episode that we were going to see this dead body, and the dead body is Wyndham Earl's next chess move. Um, but it's it's important at this point in the episode that uh, Wyndham Earl has not yet made his move. And so we're kind of waiting for him 
to do it. It's kind of like up in the air. He should have done it by now. Um, I don't know that that really comes across, but I think that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily yeah. I didn't necessarily like pick up on that and, and then predicting that the end of the episode would, would feature that. But um, at least they kind of provided some sort of background for it. Uh, so that makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm hoping... I'm hoping that this is the main storyline going forward because I've wanted this to be the main storyline through these last two episodes. I'm like, okay, especially once we hit episode 10, 11, I'm like, okay, the interesting stuff left right now is Cooper's backstory. That's what's, that's kind of like what's left. That's the stuff that I'm interested Mm -hmm. in. And I want that to be the storyline because they've been teasing it all season. And I, yeah, when whenever it, it it starts to happen, my ears perk up, and now I just don't trust the show that at the end of this episode, the rest of the season is going to follow this as the main storyline. But it's it's definitely interesting. I, I like this stuff a lot, and like I said, I want to know more about Cooper's past. Yeah, I'm definitely tentative, because this all hinges for me on Wyndham Earl's character and when we finally see him, which I figure yeah. will be in the next couple episodes. So, I mean, if they nail that, then I'm, you know, then I'm completely down for this, because it's been intriguing thus far. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so this next scene, which also kind of sets up something a little bit later in the episode, um, Shelly is feeding Leo uh, a return to uh, Invitation to Love. It's on the TV for yes. the first time. It's been a while. A while. Yeah. Missed that uh, music. I don't think... Yeah, I know. Very, very dramatic, very uh, uh, melodramatic music. Um, but yeah, so Shelly is just feeding Leo. Not too much happens in this scene, but Bobby... Uh, Bobby gets up to leave and and he says it's his big break and he's not coming back and and Shelly doesn't like that too much. Well, I actually think this is a pretty important scene in this episode, at least in the storyline of Twin Peaks, because if Bobby and Shelly are having problems as a couple, I believe this is the episode that Bobby then goes and kisses Audrey, right? Or was that last episode? That has or tries to kiss Audrey. He tries to kiss Audrey. He tries to kiss Audrey. He's obviously having starting to have feelings for Audrey. And Shelly is starting to feel isolated with Leo. And if this, again, if this is one of the, the, the B storylines or C storylines that they're elevating to a B storyline, um, I'm glad that this scene kind of puts us in a place where Shelly really feels isolated from the person that she felt was always her rock. And I hope that if this does become one of the main storylines going forward, that that is kind of Shelly almost overcoming Bobby leaving her and Leo being back to where he is, that she kind of comes into her own as a person and be an individual because that's where it really feels like the story's going for her. Yeah, that's true. It it sort of feels like Bobby has always been uh, Shelly's protection against Leo's abuse. And now maybe, like he left and Leo's back. So it, I think... Yeah, I think you you were thinking in the right way. It's interesting to see how this goes forward, for sure. Um, Matt, anything groundbreaking to say about uh, this? No, or? I agree with it. I'm glad to see that they're developing this storyline because it's definitely been stagnating for a long, mm-hmm. long time. Yeah, and it has the potential yeah, to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. As I've said before, I love the concept of you know this vegetable. Uh, you know, you have to take care of, but then he secretly wants to wants to kill you it's terrifying it seems like a great you know horror movie concept sounds like sounds like something that might be happening right now (laughs) (laughs) we can just move on from there let's move on from that um sorry let's let's move to the next scene uh to a character who for his brain power might as well be a vegetable uh james hurley uh is on the phone 
don't, yes. you, you don't have to kick the man while he's down. <laughs> <laughs> he, so he calls Big Ed for a favor, and he says he wants all his money from his savings account. <laughs> Which is $12. 12 bucks. $12? And we hear Big Ed on the phone being like, it's only $12, man. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> it's such a weird touch. I don't know if that's scripted or if that was just... Uh, I, I forget. I'm forgetting Big Ed's... Uh, the actor's name, but um, I'm so terrible at remembering the actors' either. names in this show. Other than yeah, uh, I, I I really should remember this. Kyle McLaughlin. I don't know if Michael maybe Lankin. yeah, maybe this is just like the actor like doing a joke. Like it's only tw- I don't know. I I legitimately have no idea. No, that sounds like a David Lynch scene. thing that he would do. <sighs> yeah, it's so goofy. But uh, yeah. it's James. It, it made me Evelyn. laugh. It did make it me did laugh. Make yeah, it's twelve bucks. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like James. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, James and Evelyn talk for a little bit about Twin Peaks, and uh, it's uh, she says it was. I don't. I don't remember. He said he says like it was a woman, and she was like maybe a few women or something like that. And no, he yes, basically just tells was, her the entire story that like Laura died yeah. and he loved her. That we know. Yeah, we know. Yeah, he was basically just recanting everything that happened so far. Yeah, yeah this scene I, is, I just tuned yeah. out this monologue. It's annoying. It, it was an annoying monologue. Uh, but this scene is interesting because uh, watching, I watched this episode two times, and watching the second time, you can start to see here that, that she's trying to manip- manipulate him um, because she's wearing sunglasses. And I, I, I don't know how she would know that Donna wore the sunglasses too. But like, like but, uh, mm. but there's a callback to that because that's what Donna would do. That's a theme. Yeah, that's like the imagery of like trying to manipulate. But she's also kind of trying to manipulate everyone in... in hiding her bruise and you know showing that like trying to hide the fact that jeffrey is abusing her maybe yeah, yeah. I, what is going on with it? like as we'll get to the ending like i am so we'll lost yeah. by what is happening with this storyline like what's what's no the girl's clue. name again evelyn evelyn like this again this is another thing where i said with like with little nicky and dick uh i almost called him dick halloran that's the guy from the shining dick tremaine um with these storylines like i where are we going like what is the point of this <laughs> Like, where it's just, like, I'm somewhat interested. The two, actually, I'm going to disagree with you. I think they have decent chemistry when they're together really? on screen. Oh, they are they are full-on soap opera, and I'm okay with it. Like, yeah, I'm like, yeah. this show, this is the soap opera part of the show with, in terms of the acting and the chemistry. But it's just, like, especially once we hit the end, like, why does she care about James? Like, is she try, what, what is she trying to manipulate out of James if this mm-hmm. is even, like, like, what, why? Like, James is just some random person you ran into. Why are you trying to actually manipulate this guy? I don't get it. Yep, no, I agree. It, yeah. it makes no sense. And, and it was making I, sense. Um, and then they exactly. and then they changed it and it's like, "Well, why did you do that? This is doing nothing for me." Yeah. Hopefully yes. it changes in the future. Hopefully again, hopefully all these side storylines eventually pay off and I'm trusting David Lynch that they'll pay off in some way shape or form. The idea that don't, little Nikki is the devil is an interesting idea. I kind of hope that that pans <laughs> out. Don't don't expect for all of these to pay off, but some Damn of them it. definitely will. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll take um, some. I hate to I'll break take some over none. But yeah, uh, something really interesting happens uh, next. Not necessarily in the next scene, but in the transition, we see this red light, which is an image that we we've seen it in the pilot. We've seen it, I think, like maybe right before Maddie is killed. It's like it's such a cool shot. Um, and then immediately, what follows? I, I was totally thrown off. Like. I saw this red light shot, the, the the traffic light, and I like sat up and I was like, "Oh wait, is something about to happen?" And then, no, because uh, it's just Nadine annoying Mike 
in the Double R Diner. See, I like um, this scene. I like this scene because I, I yeah. love Mike to death. I think he, I think his character is great. Yeah. But no, like the the stoplight that is like classic season one, early season two Twin Peaks imagery. And me too. I, I got excited. I was like, oh, you know, like are we are we back into it? And there was definitely a sense of disappointment there to see Nadine. And I'm sure Floyd felt the same way. Maybe with a bit of fear seeped into that as oh, well. God. <laughs> Nadine. But I I like this scene because they're. Like some uh, diner patrons in the background who are like, they're kind of looking on and they're not really sure what to make of it. They're really confused as we are. Um, yeah. I, nice what was the scene? <laughs> well, this is an, this is like this plot line. I have no idea where this is going. I don't like what is the point of Nadine like having these superpowers and being back in high school. It's funny, whatever. But like, why? Okay. I, this, this is, is mm-hmm. yeah. This is my thought process. Like, I, I'm assuming that Nadine and Michael, now after this scene, will end up together. Um, because Michael, like, just let her kiss him and didn't try to stop it. And he kind of seemed at the end of it that he liked it, which was... This is weird, because she's, like, a 40-year-old woman and he's, like, 17. Um, and it's not, it's not like, Cooper, where she's obviously, like, a 26-year-old actress and he's, like, four years older than her in real life, where it feels like they have insane chemistry. Like, this is a weird relationship. <laughs> And on top of that, having the um, Norma and Ed storyline, I feel like this is just them trying to justifiably break the couples up so that Norma and Ed can finally get together. I was going to say that maybe this is the impetus for then that occurring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing that I can be like, ma- I still don't get the superpowers. I don't understand, I don't understand. the needs <laughs> of the superpowers. But in terms of the relationship and maybe the the brainwashing or the brain the amnesia maybe that's a reason for it but we'll see yeah well so so let's like let's jump around in the episode a little bit because let's talk about this the stuff with ed and norma now um yeah norma comes to see ed and a very cheesy scene it's the it's the cliche uh the first thing i think of in the morning and the last thing before i go to sleep yo i teared up in this i thought that was so romantic oh i was sarcastic i was being sarcastic sorry you actually felt that way i i no i mean i i think it's i think it's an adorable scene it's very cliche but i i like the actors i I think they have great chemistry yeah um and, and this scene um and, and even the Nadine and Mike stuff sets up a very uh, a theme in this episode, which is Twin Peaks being horny. Because it's just... Yes, finally! There is so much people hooking up in this episode, people having random sex. It's so weird. Um, but this is definitely one of the more romantic instances of that in this episode. And I, I, as I said, I love Norma and I love Ed, and I'm so happy to see them together again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to disagree with you on the, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no! I was just gonna say I think it's a great moment later when uh, Nadine comes in, comes into the house and swinging her bag, and we see her take down Hank. I think that's awesome. <laughs> okay, I, I gotta. I like I'm gonna agree with one one of those points and disagree with the other. Um, I like wanted to throw up during the Ed and Norma scene. Like I, it was it was cheese to the max, and I just couldn't handle it. But I'm gonna compliment a scene with Nadine in it. That was one of my favorite scenes of the episode because it finally felt yep. like something was justified. Nadine was doing something that was justified because she finally was using, again, these superpowers, don't know what's going to come of them, but at least she used it to beat the shit out of Hank, and Hank's just like this, 
Okay, can we talk, just a sidebar, can we talk about Hank as a character? Because I yeah, don't get what the hell is going on with this character. Sometimes he's this amicable, fun guy that is supposed to be like, oh, just kind of fun Hank, you know, he's Norma's husband out of jail, and now he's just helping that, you know, out of the shop. And then sometimes he's a drug dealer, and then sometimes he's this menacing, like, killer. Like, what, this show cannot pick what Hank is supposed to be. Yeah, and and then he also gets taken down by Nadine. So are we supposed to take him seriously or not? Yeah, I don't know. It's like, just I they cannot decide on this character. Yeah, they really can't. Yeah. I feel. Like. I completely agree. This is something that me of Logan have talked about before, and it's it's it, yeah. it, it switches between Goofy Hank and Mean Medicine Hank. Yeah, pick pick a lane. Like mm-hmm. if you yeah. either, I don't mind him as a character either way. It's just frustrating to see them try to do both because it doesn't work as both. Yeah. I feel like it could easily be two characters. Yeah, no, I agree. And, they, like, the, why didn't you just write it as two separate characters? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? No, yeah, you're um, right. They could have easily introduced one more character. This is such an ensemble show that you could have easily oh, yeah. introduced one more character. Yeah. Or just cut no, out I, the I totally agree with that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, all right, well, let's hop back to um, uh, a relationship that I... Uh, do not care about, but uh, Hank, or sorry, uh, Harry comes to visit Josie. I don't care about this relationship. Oh I don't care about Josie. I, I don't care about this plot at all. I, do you guys want, even want to talk about it's it? It's a terrible scene. Uh, maybe my yeah. least favorite scene <laughs> in the entire episode. It's gross. But too. more kissing. I, it, it was gross horny. kissing. Like, <laughs> yes. there was some kissing in this episode that was like tender um, or sensual, but this was just like so intense and way too long. It felt yeah, we like. Have, we it, have Ed and Norma. We have Nadine and Mike. We have James and Evelyn. We have later Malcolm and Evelyn. Mm, and we have. Catherine and Ben. Uh, Catherine and Ben and Truman and Josie. It's just, yeah, it's it's a lot in this episode. You're, you, know, you know what? You're right. This this show is getting really horny. And I don't know <laughs> if it's because, like, it's like this thought process where, like, well, you lose all, you know, aimless aim in life and then you just go to that. I mean, I don't know. It just, it felt like. And in this scene, it felt like almost like mo- like kissing from like a 1940s movie where they couldn't hold lips for longer than t- four seconds at a time because of the Hayes Code, <laughs> which is like they were. It was the most awkward makeout session I've ever seen in my life, where they were just yeah, like the, pecking um, around their faces. I, I should let you know that this trend continues, and uh, the season finale is just a 50 minute porno. You know what? Honestly, that's one way to go. <laughs> it is one way to go. <laughs> it's entertaining. I'm sure it's entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Um. So look forward to that. Yeah, I am. Um, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about kind of the sting operation as a whole. Actually, no, I I, I lied. I don't want to get there yet. Um, <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about Dick and Andy breaking into Happy Helping Hands for Little Nikki's file. I laughed so hard <laughs> when Dick said, "Little Donnie is dead." <laughs> I love this. This scene. poor couple. I, yeah, I think this is a fantastic scene. Um, like it's a terrible plot, but it's an entertaining scene. Like it, it, it's entertaining, even though you don't necessarily like care about it that much. I, I love when they first get into the room and he pushes the door open and he says, "We enter." <laughs> he's just like narrating every step, and this is like a very different Dick because he's usually very, very pretentious and very mean to Andy. But now they're like buddy buddy a bit, uh, which I kind of enjoy yeah. seeing. And uh, yeah, I I love the alliteration with Donnie is dead. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, it was moments like this where I was like, wow, in, in about five or six episodes, we went from Leland Palmer dying on the floor to, to this. Cool. <laughs> it, I, 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 again, I, I gotta disagree, I disagree here. I just, I, in my, in my brain, I was like, why is this happening? Like, it's, it, it's, it just felt so 
so pointless. Uh, that's, that's fair. fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's probably all we need to say about that about that plot. I'm, I kind of just want to talk about all the plots separately until we get to this ending sequence, starting with the sting operation. Sure. So, uh, let's talk about Ben. I think the idea with all of this is that Ben has to like rewrite history and feel like he's winning something um, because he's just lost so much. And he's it, there's some interesting imagery. He literally like is putting himself above Bobby in this scene because he, like, stands up on the desk while Bobby is down below. But I don't know. I, I don't think it reads as deep as the showrunners were hoping that it would. What do you guys think? I can't stand this. Yeah, I, I thought it was entertaining when it was first introduced and he was doing the miniatures, and now I just I just find it so annoying. Um, yeah, I understand what you're saying, uh, you know, with him trying to reclaim some power that he had, but it's not it's not progressing at all, and it just... It feels lifeless. Yeah, okay. So if you want to get... If you really want to stretch and reach for this, I th- I would say the, the closest thing I can think of for a justifiable reason for this comes in the fact that he is idolizing the Confederation and not for the reason that you probably think of right away. He is idolizing the Confederation if this is what the storytellers were going for because this is what I'm... I'm stretching for a reach right here to, to justify <laughs> this. No, it's okay. We we justified the James and Evelyn plot being important in the last one, so we can really, really stretch our imaginations. Here. Again, and again, if you go back and listen to the other podcast of this I was on, I said that I love the Ben stuff looking at his it, at his um, childhood footage, and then you said it goes off the rails. I agree with you. This is definitely off the rails. Um, but if he, if he goes with the Confederation instead of the U.S., he is kind of idolizing this force that saw themselves as above the of uh, another group of people or saw themselves as this this different thing that was better than other people because of the money that they had and the power that they had and they have that power taken away from them or are starting to lose that power and then they start to fight back and horn has gotten to the point now where he is he has nothing even though he still has a, a daughter that loves him and he still has a successful hotel that he runs and that he still has he's still wealthy but he feels like he's lost that power and he wants to fight for it and i'm assuming that that's the idea of having him be with the Confederacy. That also might just be my brain trying to stretch and make some sort of connective tissue with this uh, storyline. And there are moments that I like. I like when Audrey tries to come in and talk to him, probably because Audrey's one of my favorite characters. I think she's just always fun to watch. But I don't know. It just feels like this storyline, if that's what the writers were going for, you really should have made that clearer. Yeah. And then there's this whole thing with Catherine. I don't understand yeah, what the hell was she's that? coming into it. Yeah, it doesn't serve a purpose, really, I no. don't think. Just more horniness. Just they want to make out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't Cram as much horniness as possible into this episode. So much horniness. I'm surprised Shelly doesn't try to make out with Leo in this last oh. scene. Oh, God. <laughs> Spit of spaghetti everywhere. Um, <laughs> Ew. <laughs> oh, Jesus. New no, shoes. But... Ew. The Catherine and Ben thing doesn't make sense because yes. the show... Like the Evelyn thing, the show takes a couple episodes and establishes this very clear through line with these characters. Oh, Catherine is manipulating Ben. Okay, maybe then maybe that's what she's doing here, but it doesn't look like that, you know? Catherine hates Ben, she wants his money, she's taken away his power, but now it just flips it in this very random decision that feels like a complete throwaway. Yeah, and it seemed like she had finally gone back to being faithful to her husband, and I was like, God damn it, just, can you, can you just keep it down, Piper Laurie? I I don't 
okay, the the one good thing about this scene is that she yet again calls him a slimy rat bastard, which I always love to see. Yes. Sure. It's classic. I mean, he is. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah, that's probably the only good thing. I mean, uh, Ben Horn, yeah. I always forget sometimes when he's on screen, probably because the actor is just so great, but he he's he's a, a really bad person. Like, yeah. like, there are times where, like, oh, you should feel bad for Ben. He's going crazy. But then I think about it, like, no, he was having sex with Laura Palmer, and he ran a brothel, and, yeah, he's a bad person. You know, he's a drug runner at some point. Yeah. Well, remember yeah, that, I think remember he said, I loved her, referring to Laura Palmer? Yeah. And we yeah. Never, we never get any of that? I, I don't know if that's going to be explored in Firewalk With Me or something, but that is yet to be explored. This show just didn't grapple with everything that it set up with the Laura Palmer storyline at the end in those last three episodes in seven, eight, nine. They just did. They just haven't grappled with it, and I don't yeah. know why. It's it's much more interesting than the stuff they're focusing on. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, yeah. I hope I, they do. I, I hope I that's what what Fire Walk with Me and the Return and maybe even the end of season two grapples with some of the consequences of stuff. And again, like again, I've mentioned before, Maddie, Maddie just never even here. They, and when James is having that monologue about what happened, he's like, "Oh, another girl died," and that's it. Like, why does Maddie keep getting <laughs> ignored? Why is no one talking about Maddie? She's dead. <laughs> she was a main yeah. character. Right. Sorry. Sorry to yeah, keep pulling us off on these tangents. No, that's that's fine. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I think the only thing that we have left to talk about is Malcolm and Evelyn. <laughs> yeah, what the uh, hell was this? Evelyn comes out of James's room. <sighs> after uh, having leaves, sex with him. After having sex with him, leaves James in the bed, comes out, and Malcolm says, how's our little boy? And then says, lucky boy, lucky, lucky. And then they start making out. And this not only is just creepy, but it raises so many questions. Like, are they his parents? Are they really brother and sister? Oh, I... Are, that, I that could explain am, why James is the way he is, honestly. I am lost. <laughs> like, and then who is Jeffrey? What is he doing? Yeah, I... I have no idea. When is this Jeff, happened... Is Jeff getting double-cucked now? <laughs> Is Jeff even the one beating her at this point? Is it really her brother is it or Malcolm whoever there? this? If it is it. Well, this... we saw Malcolm in the room. Okay. While with James, that's while true. James was watching. Yeah, that's true. So I would say, yeah. Is it is Malcolm actually not her brother and her lover and is disguising himself as her brother and her husband's servant? It doesn't make any but, sense. But like, what's the point of James then? Like, why? Ugh. No, I I don't buy that it's his parents. I, I the, really the don't the main buy theme of season parents. two is what's the point of James? <laughs> yeah, to be fair. Well, well yeah, it, there's no way that these are his parents because that's just. The age gap does not work. Like, she's older than James, but she's not that much older than James. Like, she's no <laughs> older than 30, and he's supposed to be, what, 18? Like, that just doesn't line up. But then why did he say, how's our little boy? I don't know. And also, it wouldn't make any sense because he just had sex with her. Like, uh, this uh, show's incesty, but, like, I don't know if you need another parent. <laughs> it's incesty, but not that incesty. <laughs> like, why? Like, it... But that was incesty for a point. I don't want... Oh, this sounds bad. For a point in the plot. That was incesty for a point in the plot. Like, it was, like, to show, like, the, how far gone Leland Palmer was. This the Back has, Style podcast does, does not condone incest. Absolutely not. That was not what Unless I was saying. Unless it's for a point. You know what I was saying. For a point in the plot. If there was a point in yeah. the plot that this was trying to get at, 
I understand. It's gross. I understand why you would write into the storyline. This feels random if this is his parents. I don't think it is. I hope to God it's not, but it's making me afraid how much Logan is emphasizing this. I know. Seriously. (laughs) I I truly, truly, there are some things that I do not remember (laughs) how they really play out. And this is kind of one of those. Uh, so this is going to be as much a surprise to you uh, as it is to me. Oh, boy. Um, it's not his but, parents. Okay. It's not his parents. There's no way. Okay. There's okay. no way. <laughs> God's fine. No. Um, let's talk about Dead Dog Farm. Okay, yeah. This is this is the interesting stuff. Yeah, this is the most interesting uh, part of the episode. Um, the, most, the most interesting... I get, well, not the most interesting plot right now, but yeah, certainly the most interesting part of the episode. Um, and these last three scenes, I would say, are good scenes, or like, like kind of the sequences. The dead dog farm sting, uh, Leo Johnson finally standing up, and uh, finding Wyndham Earl's next chess move. Um, so there's this whole trading, um, kind of hostage trading situation. Um, what what do you guys think about all this? Just Just... In general, the dead dog farm sting. Matt, go first. Um, yeah, I thought it was. I found it to be pretty entertaining. Um, kind of glad that it reached a conclusion because um, I was getting kind of tired of it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I I really like uh, John Renault's monologue where he kind of brings in this different perspective to the whole what we've seen in Twin Peaks thus far. Um, and the one point that I just did not understand, and it was so stupid, I think, was the whole uh, uh, Denise coming in with the food and then the gun. I just thought that was kind of ridiculous. Well, the, yeah, rest, like, the rest of the scene seemed very cool, very detective, very realistic. <laughs> and then for some reason, they opened up the door to this random waitress. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it did seem kind of lazy. Like, why? It was they so dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, Ryan. I, I like this scene. I think it's fine. Um, it's interesting. It feels a little bit of an anti, a bit of an anticlimactic ending to the Jean Reno storyline. Um, but unlike you guys, I don't know. It just kind of felt like a generic action scene to me. Like, okay, we're we're getting a little action in this show, and you know, we're gonna get a, a little bit of a shootout. But I do agree with you, Matt. I do think the the monologue about about Twin Peaks and how Cooper is messing things up in Twin Peaks. I think it was a really it was a good moment. Yeah, and I actually. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I I like this scene very much, especially Renault's death. Um, I love his explanation of kind of why he hates Cooper, why he has this vendetta. Like, once Cooper shows up, both of his brothers die. Uh, and, of course, then Jean Renault dies in this very same scene. And it's the tiniest little action uh, from this actor. But I think it's so well done. It's the, the, the shot of him actually dying, he goes for his gun as he's falling to the ground, but then he just doesn't get the chance to do it. Like, it's so, it's so threatening. Like, even in his last moment, he's, like, wanting to fight, but then it's also just so, like, desperate and pathetic. Like, I feel like it's, it's such a cathartic end to this character. Like, he wants to fight and he just never gets the chance to pull his gun. Yeah, that was I really like it. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that, that specific detail of it. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great monologue, um, and and, and it, I guess if you if we really read into this, it's, you know, does, is you know, is Cooper gonna start, 
um, taking more blame for things, you know, because I do wonder where this story is going to go after this, because, I mean, his name has been cleared. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to get back with the FBI after this. Um, I, it, I just wonder where Cooper's evolution as a character is going to go. Yeah. I'm assuming we're going to go backwards in terms of we're going to find out, especially because of what, what, what's his name? Wyndham Earl, especially because of the Wyndham Earl stuff. I'm assuming that now that he's reinstated, we can really get back into that storyline. And I wonder if I wonder if Denise is going to stick around because I I don't know I like her as a character and I think she adds an interesting wrinkle to the show that I hope she sticks around for. But I don't know if she will or not now that this is over. Yeah, this this definitely would tie into the Wyndham Earl stuff good because the whole thing with his past is I let someone die and I regret it and this is yeah, what and he's talking about blame. Regret, is Denise yeah. is Denise involved? Like, did she know him back then? I don't know. I just I'm just trying to think of excuses for Denise to stick around because I like her. But same, yeah. Um, so we had talked actually two episodes ago about um the 2020 perspective on uh, Agent Bryson. Um, how do you guys feel about sort of transitioning back into Dennis just for this sting? I I kind of like it. I think it's I think it's a little cooler. Maybe not to have like a label on it like this character is like strictly transgender especially given like the the ways that people react to it um i don't know it's how how do you guys feel about it because i i i think it's a kind of clever uh thing to do that you know this character sort of goes back and forth depending on like what the situation calls for um i don't know what are your thoughts yeah i guess you can read it two ways you can read it um that you know Denise is very empowered because every time she does switch back and forth, I mean that's of her own volition. It's always all she is very much has a lot of agency in this show. Um, but then yeah, I guess that, you that is also, certainly the right word to use. Empowered. Yeah, it's just it feels very empowered, very like choice driven, uh, not labeled at all. I I like it, but yeah, sorry, keep yeah. going. Yeah, yeah, but then I think the other way you can read it is that uh, the show is a bit cavalier in, in addressing that aspect of her. Um, in that it's definitely like a um, a straight guy's perspective on it, um, but that's definitely with a more 2020 perspective. And I mean, this isn't Twin Peaks is a very goofy show to begin with, um, so it, it, I, I think it. I don't know. I wouldn't expect it to go like fully deep on these certain issues, especially during that time period. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely agree that I feel like I I take it more as the empowered the empowered way because that's the way I've kind of viewed. The depiction of the Denise character throughout this entire this in, entire past few episodes, I think that what really works for this is that Denise uses Dennis as a disguise. She mm-hmm. uses it to go under. She's basically going undercover as Dennis, and that's kind of yeah. where the point where it's like, yeah, they're using it for a plot reason, but she's doing this for her job. To she's taking advantage basically of her, you know, her identity of who she is and she's using that to do good for her job and to do good for you know society getting rid of these drug dealers so i I didn't take it as like her switching back to dennis more as just like going undercover as dennis i think it's um yeah we, we had certainly talked about how in the last episode um she's very like she's very much in control in her scene like her scenes with ernie um she's just like She's in a power position, and I really like that. It, it's a nice, it's a nice change from like the the comedic reactions uh, that we got to her introduction uh, in her first episode. But 
yeah, yeah. I, I I think I think it's a good direction and, and in that episode last week um when we talked or when you guys talked about that scene between Cooper um Audrey and um Denise she yeah. she she's like oh no I'm still you know she's still attracted to women you know and, and it's those kind of things where it's just Denise feels so modern I don't know she just feels so yeah. in she she's so attuned to herself she's so understands herself and just again I, I she feels empowered throughout the show and I, I don't know I, I don't think I think this show is like way ahead of its time in the way that it dealt with her character yeah she uh still puts on her panties one leg at a time if you it know doesn't what make I any mean. sense no I don't <laughs> I don't know how that equivalates to being attracted to women but okay sure yeah yeah no idea but we <laughs> but it's funny it's we talked funny. about it oh that was a funny line I cracked it up hilarious. yeah yeah um, I think that was a funny line, but Cooper's reaction was like, actually, no, I don't get what you're Not saying. Really. Yeah. Yeah, that was love the funny it. line. Yeah. I absolutely love that moment. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Leo coming back. Finally. Uh, it's time. Uh, one thing in this scene that's good. Actually, two things that are good. The sound, um, how the music, it keeps slowing oh, down. Oh, I love and, that. Like, dropping down in volume, coming back up. And the lights is the other good thing. The bad thing the thing that i would just say is totally over the top is leo's cake on his face that's like clown makeup like uh really oh i like you have to do that i think he's menacing enough i don't know i i liked that that felt very twin peaksy to me um like we we didn't see cake recently like we've seen his face get dropped into cake before and it wasn't like recently you know yeah, I, I guess... So you, we don't know how that happened. Yeah, I guess if you read into it that much, I, I guess that's true. But no, I, I did... I love, again, the record skipping, the music, mm-hmm. that surf rock. And we've talked about this before, but um, when they use their house in these scary scenes, it's terrifying because the house is like has been under construction and like half-built for this entire show. And it adds such an eerie element just to see these bare walls and the drywall and these plastic sheets hanging up in place of windows and walls. And I think it works to great effect here. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love this scene. I-, I disagree with the over-the-topness of Leo coming back. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was, it- it was finally going to the place in the storyline that I knew that they were trying trying so hard to get to and if they would just actually streamline it they could have gotten there a lot faster but mm-hmm. no i i love this scene i thought it was it was fantastic and i was just very excited that this was finally moving forward i think it's actually important that they waited so long to move this along because of things that will happen in the next few episodes okay okay but we'll i mean like we'll, yeah we'll get there when we get there but i i agree with the pacing of this plot line. My question is that... Because it oh, kind of lines up with something else. Okay. That's important. My question is whether or not, and again, I don't have the answer to this, is whether or not he was faking this entire time. And that's kind of going to be the, the point that I'm most interested going forward. Is like, like, do we know, do we ever find out whether or not he was actually under, you know, psychosis this entire time? Or if he was just screwing with Shelly's uh, brain, this you know, psyche this entire time? I don't think Leo's smart enough to fake something for this long. <laughs> I, I Maybe. Feel, I feel like at a certain point he started to regain more consciousness and was able to uh, stand up like he does in this episode, and he's kind of waiting for the perfect moment. But I don't know. I feel like Leo's uh, maybe not smart enough to figure all this out. I feel like he's maniacal enough, though. Like I feel like he's proven that he's maniacal enough to do that. Yeah, I guess. He's abusive, you know. He's he's abusive to the max with Shelly. Mm-hmm. Abusive to the max. It's what like we that. it's what we do here. We make up 
terms, make up terms here that could be taken out of context and put really badly. That's what I do on this channel. Basically. It's, it's true. That is what you do on this channel. It's the reason I'll never have a political career, this podcast, <laughs> this podcast network. I hope no one, uh, you know, I hope no one crops this and just uh, just keeps the part where I say, abusive to the max. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Please no one do that. Please, Please no, no one, one Please. just save the part where I say, abusive to the max. Yeah. No one do that, please. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Yeah, let's, let's move on to the last scene. Um, this, uh, so I should preface this by saying, all the chess moves. I was very disappointed to find that to find this out, but these chess moves do not make sense, um, mm. which is disappointing. But it's kind of like the blood types in season one. Everything with the blood types got all screwed up. Like they say that someone is like, uh, you know, be negative, and then later that someone else is B negative. I don't know. It, it, it's very confusing and I've never really paid attention to it. I also don't pay attention to chess moves because uh, I am not like a chess master, so I don't really know. Um, but apparently it, it, it doesn't match up. But That's fine. Who cares? Yeah. But I, I love this image at the end of uh, this guy with the cracked glasses and he's pointing at the chessboard and... And is there, there's like a note on him, right? It says like your move or something. I think so. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's not, I don't know. Something like that. Well, there's certainly the deer's head next to him. Yes. The deer's head. Uh, what do you guys make of this scene? Any, any comments about it? Um, yeah, it's interesting because they talk about right before he finds the body that the generator way now, and there was some sort of explosion or something because when we're at Leo's house, we see the lights flickering and going on and off. Um, oh yeah! Wow, I didn't even think of those being connected. Yeah, I, I, I know they were Lucy, connected, but I didn't. Lucy know. gives like her like kind of one of her signature long-winded explanations of the fire department and everything. Yeah, I'm not sure the significance of that if it has any significance. Yeah. Um, but it certainly adds an eerie effect. I think this is interesting. I'm assuming Wyndham Earl will be introduced in the next episode because he's presumably in Twin Peaks. Um, so I'm very excited to see that. Yeah, no, I, I like this. I like that we're finally getting to. It seems a tipping point in this in this plot line, and with what only seven episodes or so left in the in this season, I I hope that this really starts ramping up and that this is going to be the the plot line going forward. I love I love this scene. I thought it, it the both of these last two scenes did really great stuff with lighting and um, ratcheting up the suspense. Um, you know, when I'd mentioned I I think I mentioned before on the call it might have been on this episode. I I can't remember if it was before or after we started recording. That when he called Denise in, or when he called Harry in, I thought it was going to be Denise there dead. Yeah. And I thought that was going to be the big, oh no, with, with Denise got through that whole thing with the drug bus and then just for, you know, Earl to use her as a, a, a move against uh, against Cooper. So I don't know who this body is. I don't know if it's going to be someone important or not or what's happening with this, but I'm excited that this is the, the plot line that we're going forward with now. So the identity of the person there is actually sort of important, not of the character, um, but of the actor. So did you guys get at all that this was supposed to look like Cooper? No. No. And it's a, it was apparently supposed to be like a Cooper lookalike that Wyndham Earl is using. We've heard Earl talking about like, uh, he has to kill the king or something. And we get the sense this is just like one of the pawns in the game that he's killed. But the actor who plays the dead guy is Craig McLaughlin, who's Kyle's brother. Oh. Oh, which is really weird, but it kind of makes sense when you think about it. I have to go back and look at that guy's face again because I did yeah. not, I did not in any way think that it looked like Cooper. 
Yeah, I, I've never picked up on it. I, I only realized it through reading uh, The Essential Wrapped in Plastic Pathways to Twin Peaks by John Thorne, which I don't think I said this episode. That's where we got our plot summary. Um, cite your sources. I'm sorry. I didn't cite my sources. God damn it. Check the bottom of our Podbean page I'm for gonna our get page. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. Um, yeah, but I don't know. That's a that's a tiny little tidbit. Huh, it's interesting. Yeah, no, I just, I, I like this scene and I hope, I hope, again, hope. That this goes to an interesting place, but I don't trust them right now, so. <laughs> well, uh, this is, do you guys have, have any other uh, comments for this episode overall? Just some final thoughts or anything? We've talked about basically everything there is to talk about, I think. Yeah, we've, we've dissected it. Um, overall, yeah. I think a better episode than the past couple ones. Certainly still not great, but I'm um, keeping my hopes up for the rest of season two. We'll see. I, I do th- I do think, from what I remember, that this is on the uptick. I think Black Widow is the low point, um, in my opinion. Some ratings put uh, some other episodes lower, but I, I do think that it is all uphill from here um, because of the plots that kind of come to be more prominent in the next few episodes. Um, I hope so. That's so. all I'll say about that. We'll see. I, I, I hope that's the case because this episode... While better than Black Widow, definitely felt like it was of the same piece. Uh, I agree, it was interesting towards the end. Um, I hope that it goes places interesting. Um, I hope that little Nikki is the devil. Uh, that's basically all I got other than uh, Donna Hayward. Instead of instead of making the... I feel like at the end of each episode, instead of having the, the guess of, you know, who... Who killed Laura Palmer? It could be just like who slept with Laura Palmer. Like how many <laughs> how many characters can we go to? And I brought up the last time that I thought Donna and her were a couple. So I'm gonna I'm gonna posit that at the end of this episode, instead of Leland Palmer killed Laura Palmer, I'm gonna say that uh, uh, Donna Hayward had sex with Laura Palmer. All right. And, fresh uh, take. <laughs> fresh take. There you go. Fresh take. Well, you you heard it here first, folks. Um, uh, let's let's talk about our other uh, shows on the channel. Please, I was say, please stick around for that one, Logan. Sorry, <laughs> a little bit, a little tiny bit. Yeah, um, please please stick around for this next part. If you uh, if you are listening, uh, if you're a, a newcomer or an old listener, you still you might be. I don't know. You might hear some information you might not have known before. Yeah, just it's it'll be exciting to you. It'll be like five extra minutes. So exactly. what have you got to do? You're in quarantine. Uh, Ryan, you want to start us off? Yeah. So our other our, our flagship show on this network on the Twisted Mug Media Network is the uh, the Cinema Talk podcast. This past Monday, we talked about the Alfred Hitchcock classic Rope, and coming up on Friday, we'll be talking about Rear Window because we had some technical difficulties. I mean, had to skip a week. Um, so and then Friday we got Rear Window. Monday we got Psycho. So we got some of the biggest movies you know in, in cinema history coming up in the next couple weeks. So we're super excited to talk about another podcast that's going to be starting back up soon. Here is the Octo Island podcast, our Star Wars podcast that only has two episodes so far, but we're going to be talking about the duel of the fates soon the script uh the Colin Trevorrow original script and then we're going to be starting our Clone Wars rewatch uh look through which I will be hosting so um definitely look forward to those uh shows on the podcast feed and we also have uh Stop Wait What which is our comedy podcast uh it is a an improv comedy advice show uh consistently hosted by Brendan sometimes me sometimes Ryan uh and a slew of other hosts People who you would probably only see on that in one other show. So go and get some new fresh voices on there. Yeah, exactly. So uh, And then we also have Twisted Mug Mysteries, um, which is another of Brendan's show. Uh, we look into uh, hauntings, uh, ghosts, that kind of thing. 
Um, so if you're interested in that, uh, go and check it out. Uh, and Matt, you want to bring us on home with the social meds? Yes. Uh, please hit us up on social media. We are at Twisted Mug Media on Instagram and Twitter. Um, DM us, uh, follow us, like our posts, whatever. And if you want to contact us directly, you can email us at twistedmugmedia at gmail.com. We welcome any feedback, uh, any suggestions, anything. Uh, leave us a five-star review on uh, iTunes. Yeah, uh, check us out. Visit we... us at stopwaitwhat.podbean.com. I feel like we never talk about that, but that's our website. Yeah, yes. Podbean. Yes, mm-hmm. Podbean. Um, and we're also on Spotify and wherever podcasts are available. So, yeah, please check us out. Indeed. Well, uh Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you guys for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to go watch yeah. the next episode right now. Awesome. Yeah, uh, it's been a lot of fun as always. Uh, I'm Logan. I'm Matthew. I'm Ryan. This has been Back in Style. We'll see you next time. See you guys. See you.